to a throwback episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. I'm Ty Turley, and um, baby, it's cold outside. We're in the dead of winter here. We're Not doing we're doing the solstice. Okay, every day is longer. It's exciting. I spent the solstice this year. Yeah, in a, in the southern hemisphere. Oh, so long days. So I got a, the longest day of the year there. Oh, cool. Good for you, Ty. Yeah, it was kind of exciting. <laughs> it was a big deal there. They're very uh, <laughs> druid-oriented solstice celebrators. That might be it. Okay, I can't, a little I'm witchy. Not, I'm not an anthropologist, but... This week we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite movies, Michael Clayton. That... Reed, Reed said it was in his top three, I think. Maybe five. If you've listened to our episode recently about... Top movies all time. It does get a mention. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So it is for sure one of mine. Cool. I had never seen it. So we just recently watched it. Yeah. Uh, and so just, I don't know how great was this movie, Ty? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we got to do our George Clooney. Oh, I was just so excited to get to Michael Clayton. You're yeah, right. Yeah, you forgot how it works. Uh, <laughs> okay, Ty, what is your favorite george clooney movie and why is it michael clayton no <laughs> we can't pick michael clayton get out of here i guess yours is michael clayton no we can't pick michael clayton no that would that would subvert the the premise of the exercise yeah man i mean i did oceans 11 it's so good okay i wrote that down too oh well but i'm gonna switch to uh out of sight soderbergh movie with george clooney and jennifer lopez i have no idea what that is Okay, another out of sight. Yeah, is how long? How old is it? Uh, early two thousands. Okay, maybe late nineties. I actually don't know. All right, A, another future potential throwback. I, guess. I don't know if we can do two George Clooney throwbacks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is it a rom com? Uh, action romance. I don't know. Okay, I see. I see. The, you well, you, you took a great one, Ocean's yeah. Eleven. You could have done Ocean's Twelve. That's not as good. Well, it's almost as good. Almost. Uh, okay, Ty. What did you think about Michael Clayton? Well, I'm glad you got me to watch it. Um, you know, it does some interesting stuff with voiceover as well. Um, he's a sad sack of a dude, <laughs> and he we get a little bit of redemption by the end because he. Kind of seems like he might have realized he needs to do something different with his life. Maybe. But overall, it was pretty, like, grim, I thought. Yeah. He fully changes. I I don't think you can say that. He He, fully changes. How do you know that? Because he didn't just take the $5 million. He wore a wire for the police. He got her in trouble. He got you north in trouble. Well, he couldn't have taken the $5 million at that point because it was already being wired. Yeah, but he, I mean, he knew there was money potential. He could have not ever involved the police. I mean, I think he saw that his friend was murdered. He knew that was, you know, not a suicide. They tried to kill him and he realized he was doing the wrong stuff. Yeah, so I guess when threatened with death, he made a marginally better choice. Okay. Oh, no, I, I, I want to, I just, I don't see him... <laughs> There was no chance for him to show me that he really changed. Am I not being fair enough to him in that moment? I don't think so, but that's okay. Because he he gets the money initially. He gets like that 75000 
and he goes to gamble, which he hadn't done in a while. So you think that's not redemptive? Right. I mean, he goes right back, right back to doing the bad things again. I think in a moment of he sold out his friend and he felt bad about himself, he turned to an old vice, which is human. Human, sure. Not redemptive. I mean, I think there's a chance, like, we get the little line where his partner says he he left early from the game. He didn't finish the game. Like, maybe he left early because he realized this old vice wasn't the answer either. Yeah. But he was under tremendous pressure, obviously. I, I like that, I do like that the film hints at a lot of stuff without exactly spelling it out. Like, he's somehow associated with the mob from both his DA days, I think, right? Yeah. And also his... Um, loan for his restaurant through the mob for through sure. the mob for sure. So you get that he's like, but is he going to give that up? I think so. You- <laughs> I hope. I, I hope for Michael Clayton. I hope so too. What's he going to do? And also, like, how bad are you if you're a DA and you're in with the mob? That's bad. No, I don't know if he was a bad DA. I think he was a good DA. He really? was. A, he was a the good mob. Get, really, the mob gives loans to people who are good DAs against them. But he changed. He became the fixer. He used those. He used those connections, but he didn't want to. He wanted to be a trial lawyer. <laughs> yes, he did. He was a bad DA, Reed. Are you kidding? There's the, he was a corrupt DA. I don't think that's true. What? I don't think that's true at all. You don't want to believe it's true. No, don't, don't take Michael away from me. <laughs> okay. At some point, he got in with a mob. Why would, that, why would a prestigious big law firm hire you? I mean, they're, they're, they, they, they absolutely did not hire him because he's a good lawyer. That's also true. They hired him because they knew he could like, work some deals, work some deals, do the shady stuff. So that means he was already doing the shady stuff before he got hired by them. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. He, uh, he's also very kind of a loner. Yeah, he seems aloof. He has a son, though. He was married. He was married, but it takes his son to... On work visits that aren't great. Well, he's he's willing to get that like police seal break into place. You know, he's like he will do some shady stuff. And you, but not anymore. Well, I don't. Well, yeah, but you want to believe? I hope. Oh, what's, I mean, what's he gonna do? I mean, <laughs> where's where's Michael Clayton now in your in your imagination? He's just working a little a little office in a strip mall, taking cases, going to trial. <laughs> Doing, doing, doing immigration law. <laughs> just putting in the work. Oh my gosh. You also don't ever hear what happens with the brother. That's not what it's important. Like I know. That's it's just like I like this movie because you're sort of dropped into this situation. You don't really understand all the different moving pieces, but you get a lot of context. That is true. I like that. I like that too. I think the writing is very strong in a couple of different scenes. Do you like? Oh, go ahead. When he confronts the lawyer in the alleyway when he has 15 baguettes in his bag. What's he doing with those? He just likes the bread and he's a manic person. He bought so much. It's a wild. Okay. I mean, the director shot that shot. I was like, yes, I want all this bread in it. It's so good. Yeah, okay. All right. And I think the interactions with Tilda Swinton, when you first meet her, and she's, like, practicing for the interview, and you can just tell sort of how, like, robotic and intense she is. Okay, that's interesting, because that is actually my main complaint with the film, is that we see Tilda Swinton, and that, you know, the first scene with a character is not 
it's not by chance. You have to be very intentional. The first thing you see them doing is supposed to inform you about their character. Yeah. And that makes her seem kind of new, unsure of herself, um, you know, intense too. I think you're right. Yeah. To be practicing that. So exactly the tonation of how she says something. Yeah. But, um, but I could not believe she went from that to being a stone cold killer. No, because she's like, should we, should we involve, should we involve the other guy? And she's like, no, we don't need to. Like she wants to, she's such like a climber and desperate for it that she'll do anything. I just, I wished that that first interaction with her that we see as viewers would have set up something in my mind better so that I believed it when she gave, when she goes so far as to give the order to kill and then kill again. Like that, I mean, you got to really think about that. You've, you're a lawyer at a big corporation. You've worked up to be the, the senior counsel, whatever. Like, I, I agree. If you're, a, if you're an extreme climber, then, then you're right. Like, an extreme climber would go to any lengths, therefore she would kill. But I don't think it establishes that she's an extreme climber. I think she seems a little bit anal. She seems a little bit, like, controlling, and, but nervous. I don't know. Interesting. I, I, I love her character. I think she does a great job in this role. I think so. You believe it when she becomes a killer, Reed? Would you believe that I could k- kill somebody? No, but you're not that anal and intense. <laughs> okay, well, good. I'm yeah, glad. I'm glad you don't think I could. Yeah, I don't think you would. Could that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> I think if it just if I was writing it or rewriting it, I would make it some. I would have her do some little thing right at the beginning where you realize. She's willing to compromise her values. I just think she's totally over her head because the first time we actually see her, she's in the bathroom stall sweating and kind of having a meltdown. Right. And I just think she's desperate. Like you, it just comes apart across where, you know, she's trapped in a corner and she'll do anything to get out to me. Desperate because, because having this job and this power is so important to her. Yeah, she doesn't want to lose the what she has and like if I read if I if a normal person had the choice of maintaining their powerful position or killing someone, most people would would not kill someone, right? They'd lose their power. Yeah, but this place is evil. The company's evil. Corporations are evil. There's a a message to this movie. Okay. People, Lawyers are evil. For sure. <laughs> Everyone deserves a good lawyer. Yeah. Okay. So don't hire ones that will murder people. Well, they weren't murdering anyone. They paid someone to... Oh, the, the lawyers didn't. She's a lawyer. Well, she's in-house. I'm saying the law firm. I think... Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> you think that the main lawyer dude at yeah. Michael Clayton's firm orders his, him to be killed. Or gives the information to Tilda Swinton so that she knows she needs to kill Michael Clayton. I just didn't see that at all. He's evil. I think he's totally corrupt. The way he talks to the reporter at the beginning, he's willing to pay off Michael Clayton. I, I think he doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize the, you know, 3,000 billable hours, the $9 million payout that this company owes them. For $9 million, I think he would give Michael Clayton killed. I just, I don't see, there's no evidence of any action by his character. Except he's the one who had the briefcase that Michael Clayton was looking for. 
He knew. No, we know why he has the briefcase because Tilda Swinton brings it to him. Yeah. Okay. We, we also know that he, uh, gosh, I don't know the guy's name. The other lawyer, the lawyer that gets murdered. Yeah. His phone was tapped and Michael Clayton knew about a conversation that happened on that phone. Right. And the murderers tapped the phone and Tilda Swinton told the managing partner of the law firm about it. And that's how Michael Clayton knew about it. She told him, she told him information that they had found out from the tapping. She didn't, we don't see her tell him that it came from tapped phones. Right. But I just think, I think it implies a web of more evil. Mm. For me, it does. Okay. I don't see it. That's okay. All right. Well, what can you do? <laughs> I mean, because you've seen this movie one time. The head of the law firm, law firm, whatever. <laughs> the head of the law firm is not my favorite character either. I mean, he's a bad dude. Bad dude. But see, do you see the power of of planting that idea at the beginning with that phone call with the reporter? That that leads you to believe something's possible later. Yeah. So that's your that's your Tilda Swinton should have been more evil in the beginning. Yeah. Or more willing to compromise. Yeah. The only thing her initial scenes plant in my mind is the idea she she might throw up in a meeting. If she's under pressure <laughs> and needs control, needs to have things precise. She is. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Did you, I like the voiceover. I liked how you used it. I'm going to try to remember this as a good example of voiceover because it's the, it's the lawyer who goes crazy. The, the movie starts with the lawyer who goes crazy describing all this stuff, but you don't know who he is. You don't know what he's talking about law. Exactly. At the beginning, you have to kind of slowly figure it out. And then also it means, what he's saying then at the beginning of the film means more later once you. And I think it, the voiceover directly, not, a, not immediately, but eventually directly leads into dialogue that you're seeing him deliver in person. But not, yeah, there's a, but there's a huge gap a huge between gap. the voice voiceover and that scene, but it is like, it's not a descriptive voiceover of here we are in the world of Michael Clayton. It is. Oh no. His dialogue just from before we've seen the scene. Yeah. And it's beautiful too. I mean, it's super poetic. I, you were asking about dialogue. Like I, I thought that that monologue, recording, whatever it is, is awesome. Yeah, and Michael Clayton gets to say at the end, "I am Shiva, God of Death." <laughs> a good callback. Yeah, he does a couple of callbacks. He does a, 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 I'm just a janitor. Yeah. Oh, I like that scene too, where he's talking to the guy who hit the runner, and he's like, "I don't know what you were promised, a miracle worker." Yeah, but that guy understands. That client somehow understands immediately that whoever they send is going to be the guy who... The fixer. Like, literally does super illegal stuff to get him out of trouble completely. Because he talks about, what if my car was stolen? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the other lawyer was like, we're going to send our fixer. Okay, but look. Okay, this actually brings up another point, which is... Yep. We see that scene early, and then it goes back in time. Yep. And it's one of the first... Is it the first scene we see Michael Clayton? Maybe it is. Well, he gets out. He get, he gets out of the poker. He's playing poker at the beginning, and then he yeah. goes. Yeah, it's very early to see Michael Clayton. And and he, but he's in this weird space where he doesn't want to be this person anymore, right? In the in the full timeline, we know he's already had a change of heart. He's already stuff. had a change of heart. So we get introduced to this guy. Who I mean, I remember thinking when we were watching it, what's going on? He is a bad fixer. <laughs> he's bad at what he's supposed to be good at. <laughs> it seems like you'd want, especially if you're playing with the timeline anyway. Like, it's hard on the audience to understand his heart. His heart is changing, has already changed. Like, why not start with a scene where he's... Really just being a fixer. A bad guy. As bad as he can be. 
you get him. I mean, they do have him on a couple of phone calls where he's like, she's going to want to keep the condo and like, oh no, this guy's election time is coming up. Like you hear him doing other fixery things, but well, you those, don't see a lot of it. You don't. You don't see it. Those things seem like normal lawyer things to me. I mean, I definitely remember that scene in his corner office with the jump cuts and he just, I don't know. You're just the, dealing with stuff. That didn't seem crazy fixery to me. Yeah. Keeping the house. Yeah. If you're doing a divorce, you have to decide who keeps the house. No, it's not a divorce. It's a, a mistress wants a payoff. Okay. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think that when I was watching it, that but, one, you, but that, you've seen it multiple times. That one I'm certain about. Okay. Okay. Ty. Does it yeah. make, does it make you think about all the lawyers for Donald Trump and. How they have to like? I mean, he wishes he had a Michael Clayton. Yeah, lawyers is a weird job. Lawyering is a weird job because you're. It's often the lawyers who do the things that are illegal. Just that's common. I mean, I think so. If you're willing to compromise yourself, yeah. Good thing we're not lawyers. Good thing we're we're podcasters. And I would never compromise my rating, no matter how much big Michael Clayton wants to pay me. Reed, I'll give you $20 to give this a one star. <laughs> Can't do it. Okay. You know I'm going to give it a five. I Ty, do. what is your ranking of Michael Clayton? I'd give it a five, too. Oh, that's a surprise. It's good. I like that. Thank you. It's just it's just depressing, but... Not the happiest. Yeah. No. But it's a well... Definitely well-written, well-crafted. Okay, what else do you have to... What else do you have to recommend for our listeners? Okay, Reed. I saw another independent film. This one's from Egypt. Of course. It's called Feathers. Whoa. I think you should watch it if you can find it. <laughs> I don't know where it is. It's a- Egyptian Netflix? Yeah, Egyptian Netflix. Very early in the film, it's about a f- little family with two boys. Very early, in- and they're poor, and they're having a hard time with money. And then very early in the film, it's the birthday of the son, and they bring a magician in to perform at the birthday party. And the magician has this trick where he puts the dad in a box and then opens it up and, the, and pulls the chicken out of the box. But he made a mistake and he really turned the father into a chicken. Oh, no. And you're supposed to just take that. Like, that's the reality. Okay. So at first you're like, wait, what? But like, that's the truth. And so then it's what happens in that family when their dad's a chicken. And the mother's not very, um, I mean, she's lived a very protected life. I'm not blaming her, but she's not educated. She doesn't know who to turn to for help. She tries to figure out who, where the magician is. They can't find him again. I mean, it's fascinating. I think it's so good. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. Okay. Uh, Do you think he, they find him as a human or is he chicken forever? I bet that there's some way he gets back to being a human in the mm, end. I'm not saying. Don't spoil it. Yeah. For me, I'm going to recommend the. Um, there's a new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And Ugh. I think the show is generally very funny but also has a couple of really sincere, touching moments. And this one finishes in Ireland with a character uh, burying his father and having this kind of moment of connecting and being disappointed that the father wasn't a part of his life. And I think, I don't know, just weird to have this kind of crass comedy come with this real moment of emotion. Is this the last season? I think it's the kind of thing where they'll just every once in a while make a season and FX is fine with them doing it whenever. But well, that's nice. Yeah. It was a good, it was a good finish to a, I think, you know, I, I laugh in every, with every episode, but I think it was good. Yeah. All right. Cool. 
Okay, thanks for joining us for this. We'll, we'll use some uh, sunny in Philadelphia to keep us warm. What? You know, it's so cold. It's so cold. <laughs> it's so cold. Thanks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Two Brothers Review the Podcast. I'm Reed Turley. I'm Ty. Bye. Bye. Bye.